Lily Flag Signal, Episode 21, The Colorful Madam, Molly Teal. Molly Teal is probably my most requested subject, and that isn't particularly surprising. If you haven't heard of her, Molly Teal was a madam, meaning she ran what was termed at the time, a house of ill repute. But she was also a philanthropist of sorts who grew into a local legend and a highly requested podcast topic. She also was incredibly difficult to research at times, as shockingly her business isn't exactly the type to take out lots of ads or be featured as a small business of the month, but she was also good enough at what she did that she wasn't in the courts every other week. I sometimes throw older movie references into the show, and an appropriate one for this week is The Sting. The main female character in that movie, which is set in Chicago in the mid-30s, is named Billy, and she runs a combination bar, brothel, and indoor carousel. Because there are no known photos of Molly Teal, the madam I'll be talking about today, I mental picture her as a Victorian-era version of Billy from The Sting. So pictures or no, today's episode is a journey through census records, court battles, and newspaper euphemisms, though sadly there appear to be of no carousels. Flag Signal, a Huntsville, Alabama history podcast where, okay, fine, I'll talk about Molly Teal. I really got to go back to the show's origins with this one in a way, since when I started Lily Flag Signal over a year ago, the whole idea was that I was looking at local legends I'd heard growing up here and then trying to find concrete proof of the events, like writings or photos from the time period, or maybe multiple interviews after the fact that at least mostly lined up with what was claimed. It isn't that the people talking to me weren't reliable sources, but oral histories and collective memory is fallible. It isn't at all uncommon for a historical tale to get twisted or blown out of proportion or have things added on for a little razzle-dazzle during story time. The fact that Molly Teal was a madam didn't help in that regard, as no one expects a tale about a woman whose business was outside the law to be dull. People love a good story, and I don't blame them, but today I wanted to sit down and try to find what I could in terms of documented tales, as well as share some of the more interesting stories I've heard. I promise I'm not here to be buzzkill, I just want to find primary sources also. Way back in Season 1, I did an episode called Case of the Missing Mayor, where I tried to track down who was the first leadership of Huntsville, and the big issue I ran into is that official-looking websites were copying and pasting from Wikipedia, which was then citing some of those same websites, some of which had been archived and none of which had any evidence of what they claimed, and I ended up falling down a rabbit hole of self-referential loops like that. And that's the trick with this one, too. Primary sources on someone whose business was outside the law can be hard to find compared to sources on, say, downright hustling Tracy Pratt with all of his publicity and donations. So with that said, I'm breaking this episode into two sections that may seem a little backwards. First, I want to talk about the philanthropy bit of her will that got Molly Teal's name added to the list of Huntsville fun facts, and then after that I'll discuss her life, or at least what I could gather. So first, her legacy. The reason I and many others are so fixated on Molly Teal in particular, as she certainly wasn't the only Madam Huntsville's ever had, is that she left a lasting legacy in the city far outside the realm of her daily business. As the story usually goes, Molly Teal willed her home, the brothel, and its land to Huntsville City to be used as the first hospital. That's the clickbait version of the story. Did you know Huntsville's first hospital was in a brothel? But there was already a city infirmary, a predecessor to the hospital we know today, in Huntsville prior to Teal's death in 1899, but that's not the only inaccuracy of this often repeated tale. As always with their stories, there's a little more to it. 
Firstly, her property wasn't directly willed to the city upon her death. Upon her death, she left her home, the lot on which it sat, and all of her household items to a woman named Molly Greenleaf. Molly Teal's will then went on to say that, quote, At the death of Molly Greenleaf, it is my will that the city of Huntsville accept the house and the lot for the use and the benefit of the white public schools or for a city hospital as city authorities may elect, end quote. She also said that all of her possessions were to be sold for cash and the proceeds be donated to the aforementioned white public schools, including to purchase a library. And it's interesting how most versions of the story I've heard leave off the specification of white public schools and only mention the hospital bit, presumably in order to try to make the story more palatable for modern audiences. But when Molly Teal died in 1899, Molly Greenleaf took over the home. The 1900 census lists her as 50 years old and head of household with her younger sister, Rosa Farrow, and three lodgers between the ages of 19 and 24, Carrie Aiken, Maddie Wayman, and Mamie Farrow. Interestingly, none of these women list their professions, just as the women living there with Molly Teal usually didn't list theirs. I don't know if she continued to run the home as a brothel, but upon Molly Greenleaf's death in 1900, one Nashville newspaper described her as, quote, a well-known woman of the town, end quote. After Molly Greenleaf died, though, a legal kerfluffle began, and I cannot begin to relate to you the joy it brought me to read through the Alabama Supreme Court documents from 1902 to research this episode for you all. You see, Molly Teal's, quote, heirs at law and next of kin, end quote, a group from Nashville listed in the court case as Smith et Alia, with Smith being her mother's last name, claimed there were issues in the wording of the will regarding what should happen after Molly Greenleaf's death. Amongst other things, they claimed that the will wasn't specific enough in what was meant by, quote, the city of Huntsville, end quote, and that since she didn't specify, quote, mayor and alderman of the city of Huntsville, end quote, they, the legal next of kin, should get the house and furniture along with the other land and possessions of the now-dead Molly Teal. Gotta love technicalities. The Alabama Supreme Court decided that, one, duh, we know what she meant when she said city of Huntsville, good grief, and that the possessions were to all be sold and the proceeds donated to the city along with the house and lot, but that, two, the cash she had on hand, in banks, would in fact go to the heirs. The rationale here is that she specified the proceeds from the sale of possessions be donated, and cash isn't a possession you'd sell, so the cash didn't count as part of the stuff being donated. Quote, it is against reason that she should have intended her cash on hand to be sold for cash, end quote, as the court put it. So everyone wins? Question mark. This was all rather publicized, with news of the ruling making it as far as Atlanta, but it wasn't often that you'd see Molly Teal's name and profession listed side by side in talk of the hospital around town until well after the fact. The story of the hospital's prior life as a small infirmary, its eventual integration, the current building, and the moving slash destruction of Huntsville's oldest black cemetery to make room for the hospital expansion are absolutely worthy of their episode to themselves, and I've had that draft going on my laptop for over a year, but today is about Molly Teal. So that's what Molly Teal's legacy was, and it's a large part of why she's remembered around town, though sometimes it's just boiled down to, she left her house to be used as a hospital, which Fair enough, I don't know of any other city where they can say that about a brothel. As for what gave Molly Teal the idea, I don't know. The first story I was ever told was that she saw the effects of disease, particularly ones you'd expected a house of ill repute, impacting her employees, and wanted to help the general community. In 1948, though, almost half a century after Molly Teal's death, the Huntsville Times ran an article about a prominent local family, the Lowndes family, leaving their estate to the city and those funds being used for library purchases. 
In that article, Annie Chase, wife of a former Huntsville mayor and part of the family featured in my Chasing Trains episode, says that Mrs. Lowndes told her that she was the one who convinced Molly Teal to try to give her house to the city to be used as a hospital because there was a need for better medical facilities. If you're thinking it's odd that it took almost 50 years for that story to come out and that it didn't happen until everyone involved was deceased, same. It's also interesting to me given the social statuses of the women here. Miss Lowndes was, quote, active in civic affairs, end quote, and rather wealthy, and the claim is that she was going to a brothel owner to ask for property donations. Also, this leaves out the fact that, again, a hospital wasn't the only option for the house that Teal listed when she wrote the will. But what do we know about Molly Teal from when she was alive? She had over 40 years of life prior to willing her home to the city, and up to this point, I've only discussed the aftermath of sorts. Well, a few issues arise when you ask that. One is that prior to the internet and many people's desire to share much of their daily lives and thoughts in a way that can be preserved or studied later, and I say this non-judgmentally as someone who photographs everything I see on my walks and every date night and every time my cats do something cute, but before that, ordinary people just weren't super well documented outside of things like the census, city directory, or court records. If they had a journal, awesome, but otherwise you're normal, people who weren't getting quoted in the newspaper every other day sort of slid under the metaphorical radar. And Molly Teal somewhat fits that category. Issue two in researching Molly Teal is her name itself, though this was somewhat easy to guess through at times. The accepted spelling, the one on her tombstone, is M-O-L-L-I-E-T-E-A-L, with her last name spelled like the color teal, hence me naming the episode The Colorful Madam. However, the grave marker next to Molly's is her mother's, and it says, quote, Mary A. Smith died April 8, 1872, aged 48 years, erected by her daughter, Molly Teal. And in that one, Teal is spelled T-E-E-L. If Molly is the one who paid for that headstone and went to the trouble of having her own name put on it to take credit, you'd think she'd have control over the spelling. So maybe that was the correct spelling at the time and she changed it later, or maybe it was a mistake and just too expensive to fix. As someone who actually has had to change the way my name appears for work purposes because people couldn't find or contact me due to their inability to spell, I get it. Most people in my department add a first name dot last name as their email address, but after enough complaints and questions and missed important memos, I changed mine to first initial dot last name. And in hindsight, I wish I had said, too bad, if you want to reach me, you should learn to spell it. But regardless, I get what she may have been doing. Molly Teal was born, according to her tombstone, on August 20th, 1852, and census records consistently list her as being from Tennessee. Here's what I was able to track down about her life through censuses and other official documents. In 1870, Molly appears in the census with the last name Teal, T-E-E-L-E, a unique one, and lists her age as 20. According to the dates on her tombstone, she actually would have been 18 at this point, but... Molly was listed as head of household with three other women, Lena Hogan, Nani Laws, and Jessie Ashton, as well as Jessie's four-year-old daughter Lily living with her. None of the women have professions listed, and all but one was born in Tennessee. I don't know if at this point Molly had already begun her life as a brothel manager, what with her being the head of household of a group of women, but the lack of profession listed makes me think it's possible they all had a profession that wasn't good to list publicly on government documents. This was also back when questions for the census included, can you read or write? And all four of the adults responded yes. In 1880, when Molly was 28, she lived in Huntsville with a woman three years younger than her named Loretta Lester. Molly, spelled with a Y this time, is listed as single slash unmarried, head of household again, and with the profession of 
quote, keeping house, end quote. Much to my continual despair, the 1890 census records are gone forever. A little over a century ago, there was a fire in the Commerce Building in Washington, D.C., which is where the records were kept, and all but a very few files were completely destroyed. All that's left of Alabama's records are a little bit of the Perry County records, which don't particularly help in this situation. City directories weren't particularly helpful either, as she appeared as a resident, but obviously she and her employees never listed their job titles. While nowadays we may want to know about Molly Teal's brothel, at the time, the city and most residents weren't exactly proud of her business. As I mentioned, this wasn't the sort of profession one openly listed on documents. A few years back, the statewide news website AL.com had an article about a man whose father was one of the witnesses on the will. When the will was contested, the father, Terry O'Reilly, a future city councilman who was said to be just at the brothel on a business call as a plumber, was the one called to court to verify things, as the other two witnesses, Eva Gray and Flora Barker, had skipped town. So even at the time these things were going on, it was still hard to track down all of these people. However, Molly Teal did pop up in the newspaper in 1894 when a woman named Maud Black died in the back room of an office of what newspapers called, quote, a prominent citizen, end quote. Maud Black herself was described as a, quote, demi-monde, end quote, a phrase I'd never heard before, but which my friend Miriam Webster tells me is, quote, a class of women on the fringes of respectable society supported by wealthy lovers, end quote and her body was prepared for burial at Molly Teal's home. This confirms both that Miss Teal knew and was on close terms with women working in prostitution, as well as the fact that newspapers at the time would use any sort of phrasing to avoid saying as much. That same article described Molly Teal as, quote, a sporting woman, end quote. You can also see this physical separation of Molly Teal's business from the homes and businesses of the well-to-do upper-class members of society in the location of the brothel-turned-hospital itself. The building was at the northeastern corner of what were then Oak and Half Streets, now called Gallatin and St. Clair, outside of what was then considered downtown. The home was purchased by Molly Teal, two E's in that spelling, in 1893 from a group of people including William Holding, I.M. Hundley, and others for $300. She then got a mortgage on it in 1896. Prior to buying that house, Molly Teal clearly had funds to spare and spend. For example, in 1892, she put up $100 to help fund the extension of the Nashville, Chattanooga, and St. Louis Railroad tracks through Huntsville and south to Hobbs Island on the river. So I suppose her posthumous donations weren't her only monetary contributions to the city. It was so interesting to see her name among a list with Risen, Humes, Stevens, and other men who had been actively involved in land development in the city. So yeah, there's not much else out there on Molly Teal's daily life. And as such, from a storyteller's point of view, it absolutely makes sense that people want to fill in the gaps with humorous or scandalous stories. My personal favorite is the claim, and again, there's not any documentation I've found on this from the time period, and probably for good reason, that one of the cursory raids of Molly Teal's brothel resulted in the finding of many members of the volunteer fire department inside. Amusingly, that's similar to a scene in The Sting where, when a police officer threatens to search every room of Billy's establishment, she tells them, quote, you'd be busting in on the chief of police just up the hall, end quote. So, see, I told you that movie reference would pay off. And if you're wondering what became of the house, it actually burned in 1947, long after the hospital had moved into a newer building. At this point, the home was being used as a nightclub, as had been the case for about seven years, as well as a boarding house for black Huntsvillians. The cause of the fire was reported as unknown, and no one was injured, but the building was a complete loss. That's all I've got for this week. 
Huge thanks to the Patreon patrons for their support of the show. Allison, Emily, Eric, Laura, Jennifer, and William. If you'd like to join in and monetarily support this show, check out patreon.com slash lilyflagpodcast. That's L-I-L-Y-F-L-A-G-G podcast with two G's in flag. To see behind-the-scenes content, photos of the episode topics, and more, check out the show's social media on Facebook and Instagram at lilyflagpodcast, again with two G's in flag. Lastly, you can get transcripts for each episode on the podcast website, lilyflagpodcast.wordpress.com. Those have the annotations and links to sources cited, so you can use them in your own research. Until next time, protect those census records, cite your sources, and I'll talk to you soon. Lily Flag Signal, Episode 21. The Colorful... Colorful... The Colorful Madam Maudie... Maudie... And I ended up falling down a rabbit hole of self-referential... With her younger sister, Rosa Fair... Rosa Fair... Rosa Fair... The story of the hospitals, hospitals, and to be used as a hospital because there was a need for better medical, better medical, is listed as single slash unmarried, head of household again, and the cat just closed the tab with the script. In 1983, nope, that would be 1893.